themes of like being scared at altitude like is there an altitude monster floating around instagram saying like you must you're going to be fucked if you go to altitude welcome back to the next episode of the trail running women podcast today is a trail tips episode where i get together with tori to answer listener questions before we get into the show let's just take a second to thank our sponsors we are brought to you by Janji. So they are a clothing brand that is dedicated to exploring, connecting, and giving back through running. So they make trail and road running essentials focused on sustainability, durability, and performance. So the reason that I started working with them is because they were founded on the core belief that water is a human right and they're actually doing something about it. So they are donating 2% of top line sales back to supporting clean water organizations around the world. So each season, they focus on an area of the world that has struggled with clean water. So this spring, they are working with the French West Indies. They are known for their flashy prints and colors, but they do have blacks and neutrals available as well. But my favorites, I'm going to post them on my Instagram, are definitely the flashy purples and the multi-shorts and the trail shorts because they have five or more pockets to support full-day adventures and you can carry your phone, your gels, your sunglasses, and everything you need. So the cool thing for you guys is that you can get 15% off your first purchase with code TRW15. So go check them out at janji.com and use discount code TRW15 to get 15% off your first purchase. So it is four days after the BMO half marathon, and I'm hoping in the next couple of days to have a mini bonus episode come out with a race recap. So I'm just going to leave it at that. If you want to find more out about that, I've been doing a training blog on Patreon, which you can find in my Instagram which is Hillsport 55. Uh, and it's all sort of a build up to my second attempt at a fast quotations marathon in June. So I'm excited for that. Talks kind of how my training is totally different this year. And I do not know if that's going to be good or bad. Time will tell. And yeah, fun, fun to take a different look. And then I am super excited to get back into the trails for long, 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 long epic days. Okay. If you have a new mom in your life, you need to go to my Instagram and ask me about the book, the kid's book that my brother wrote, and I will link to it in the show notes also, called What Were You Expecting? Because it's absolutely hilarious and it gives a very good perspective on life as a new mom, how much you love your kids, and the reality of it, and when you need a laugh. So shout out to Cam spires again that's second in a row let's talk about his cool thing with tiger woods and now i'm talking about his books and i have another brother too who's awesome um but cam's really pumping out the sweet stuff recently so there you have it today's episode tori and i answer questions we talk about downhill running which is i swear like a question that we get every single time and we talk about this is a question that comes up occasionally when you have this mountain race that you're super stoked on and that you want to do but you live in a flat area and how to handle that training when you're not in a hilly place. So that's always a tough question. We dive into that. We also had a listener question about what to eat during a race if you're gluten and dairy free because I am allergic to everything. Also, um, and Tori has a funny perspective on that, is someone who's not gluten and dairy free. Um, so that was excellent. 
Uh, and then we had a question about the difference between an FKT and a project. So if we start talking about projects and you're like, what is going on? That was just a silly question. And there's a lot of banter and fun catch up time with Tori. And that's what these episodes are about. A little bit of knowledge and a lot of entertainment. So I hope that's what you get out of today. If you want to see videos of what it is like in the Pacific Northwest. Again, find me on Instagram, hillsport55. Reach out if you have guest ideas, all that fun stuff. I love hearing from you guys. That's it. Here's Tori. All right, we're back for a long overdue trail tips. Trying to make it work as best we can with two children. Uh, Tori's looking after Danny and I have Baker in the background with my mom. Those are like, welcome back to the show, Tori. Kid, let's start with a life update as per the listener's request at all times. Are you still living in Lillooet? How's that going? And happiness scale out of 10, how are you feeling about life? Um, well, I survived my first winter in Lillooet and we don't get snow, but it's just, yeah, I can feel a bit isolating and it's winter in a small town. It's beautiful, but yeah, so I was happy that it's not winter anymore. So it's exciting. And happiness level is pretty good, except Danny woke me up from my slumber this morning, so I was really pissed off. Anyway, no, it's all, it's all good. We're gonna do, we're gonna do Danny's first trail race on my birthday this Sunday on April sixteenth. I'm plugging my birthday for people that are listening, and it's just a, it's a twenty one k in Kamloops, so we're gonna go over there, and then I have to travel for work that week. So yeah. Okay. That's going to be so fun. How, are you guys going to run it together or are you going to be like, Danny, this is what it looks like to run it fast and take off from him? Well, I would like to run it together to like, you know, enjoy the aid stations together, assuming there's aid stations or else why am I paying $75? And I would like to run it together with him. But um, I invited his cousin who lives in Revy and he's doing it. So now I feel like they're going to have this like competitive boy energy and try to like, I don't know, duke it out. But that's okay. At least it's 21K. Like, I've told you what happened when Andy and I tried to run our honeymoon race together. It was in Switzerland. Oh, in Switzerland, yeah. He <clears throat> um, tried to run it together, and I lasted 3K and was like, I can't do this. And he was like, cool, see you at the finish line. <laughs> and we finished oh, yeah, six no. hours apart. I remember you saying that, and you were, the intention was to do it together? Um, yeah, but he sort of knew that, like, that competitive energy was going to come out, and... Also, just like when you're going someone else's pace for that long in a hard race, it's just too hard mentally to adapt, right? Like I kind of feel like you have to do what feels good for you. Well, there's too many variables in a distance like that. Like it was 110K, right? No, that one was only 90, but it was almost 7,000 meters, 660 or something, 6,600. So almost 20,000 like feet Yeah, it's a full day. It's a full day. You can't do like, you can't have that many variables going on and say you're gonna stick with someone the whole time but I yeah I, sure. I it was kind of fun because we were like the only some of the only English speakers and um there was one other Canadian on the course so it forces you also to get out of your shell and be like I'm gonna try to talk to this guy in French or you know what I mean like so it was kind of fun to be forced to get into yeah. the race more yeah and I'd like to do this summer I'd like for us to do like a 50k together too so I feel like that's a good little warm-up for us because um, and plus it's my birthday, so he has to do it with me. So I'm hoping we can do like another one together in the summer. That's actually a really good topic. And maybe one we should kind of get talk. questions or talk to people about is like how to race with your significant other. If that's something that's important. Or if you want. Yeah. Maybe or if not. you want to, honestly, because it's like, yeah. 
Andy and I have tried to do these long runs together quite often, and it can be an opportunity to have a lot of fun and really connect and do an adventure together. And it can also be an opportunity for like me and Katie to sit on a rock and laugh at how hard Andy is pouting way behind us because he can't handle the heat even worse than Katie. So you get all these sorts of different dynamics of how you're going to work through and decide if you hate each other and love each other, or if you want to just keep this sport for you and your friends. Um, And then the flip happens when like you're skiing with other, with him in the winter, but it is sort of a cool relationship test. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, the thing is, is that like, even with like experience of like being out for a long time, he's like just better than me at all that shit. And it's like kind of annoying. Cause I like joke, I'm like, can I just have one hobby? And like, even if he just like tomorrow did a 50 K I think he would be, Oh, can I do this? He would be questioning his ability, but he would be totally fine. Cause like he can go forever and he's good at like, not only taking care of like himself in the mountains, he's used to taking care of other people in the mountains. So like, He's just usually pretty happy. And like, I've, I've never really seen him bonk. We actually had a few weeks, maybe like a m- three or four weeks ago, we did um, a ski tour in the Duffy together. And I haven't really been skiing much this winter, but cause the snow has been shit and he had a really good ice season and I didn't really care. But um, we did Chief Pascal and we did this like hour. It was like an over an hour ski out. You had to put your skins back on. It was a flat road back to the car. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Never bonked so hard in my life, which is weird because I've like done things that are way longer and harder. And it was the weirdest sensation of like low blood sugar. And like, I'm the one that's like, he's totally fine, you know, like, and he's just putting up with me and I just have my head down. And yeah, so usually it's actually me. That's the one that it's not even him. It's like, Yeah. He maybe has less jogging experience specifically, but he's pretty much fine in like any environment. It's annoying. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, there's a little bit there to saying it's different muscles and it's a different sport and it's different mental capacity for you because I cannot play 18 holes of golf. I bonk on hole 13, but if I can run for 24 hours, I should probably be able to golf for three. And I like watching the masters and the guys that had to play 36 holes in one day. I'm like, how could they possibly do this? So I do feel like if you had Danny on a 50 mile, just like the comfort level and the ability to deal with the pounding and the feet pain and all of the things that you are an expert at, I do think you would prevail in the distance that is long enough. So I'm, I'm going to be team Tori on this and I'm sorry. Well, no, I would for jogging, but it was like this weird, it was just a weird sensation of like, what the fuck? It was like a blood sugar thing I'd never experienced, but I was like, I feel like he just like knows how to, I don't know. He's just really competent, which is nice because like, I don't ever have to worry about him in the mountains, <laughs> which is really lovely. Um, okay. So I feel like we should get into these questions they're all over the place. So I don't know where this is going to take us. I don't know if you'll have any advice for this or not, but possibly. Um, so I'm gluten and dairy free. I'm pretty sure you are too. I'd love to know your favorite food for ultras. I gave up a few years ago because of barfing. <laughs> Oh, I gave up gels a few years ago. Shoot, I missed the word gels. Because my first answer to this is like, yes, I am. And I've gotten to a place where I rely more on chews and gels just because there isn't other weird stuff in there. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff in there. But the sugars are like, I I don't know if I, they used to make me feel kind of gross. And I sort of feel like I trained myself into a place where I can handle more of them. Um, However, for long runs, like really long adventures, uh, let's say eight hours plus, I do find around like five hours and then every five hour 
kind of interval amongst chews and gels that I do need some sort of like solid food. Um, so one go-to is a really good gluten-free bread that you know and trust and just a peanut butter and jam sandwich, like something kind of simple. And some people say stay away from fats when you're working that hard. I sort of feel like I need fats to like stabilize my blood sugar. Back to Tori talking about bonking with blood sugar stuff. If I just do gels for too long, I start to get that kind of like too much sugar feeling. So the fats and the proteins and the peanut butter sort of bring the glycemic load of the entire day's worth of calories down a little bit. And I feel a little bit more satiated for longer. Flip side is also equal. I couldn't just do that and survive because then I would be short on sugars and electrolytes. So I kind of have to mix them. And again, that is an experience thing of like what order isn't going to hurt your stomach. And then Lara bars are super simple. They have like five or six ingredients, like dates, nuts, and depending on which flavor you get. Um, So I think almost more than anything, it's learning to find a couple of things that you can eat on such a repetitive note that aren't going to make you feel gross. Um, And then there's RX bars, which you may or may not have heard of. They're like pretty big in the CrossFit community, but they also have very few ingredients, but they have eggs and egg white in them too. So you get some protein. In on training runs, and people find this disgusting, but it has worked for me. Like boiled eggs, hard boiled eggs have been like a thing, and it's weird to carry them in your pack. But I used to get them from Save On Foods, like the little pre packed ones, and I found those helped because for long training runs, like I don't want to be doing all the gels and stuff. That's more just for races. So that was a great real food option. Um, a straight up banana in your pack is helpful. I think that is everything that I kind of use consistently. So it's pretty, pretty basic. Um, and then using more gels towards the end. And then absolute worst case, Haribo gummy bears. And then uh, just pop, flattened pop. I mean, it's so thirst quenching if it's not flattened, but pop really, really helps the whole situation. I don't think I've ever run an ultra and had any dairy or gluten in it. Like I don't really eat gluten or dairy unless I'm like sitting at a table. So I feel like this is, this is like a really good thing to have as a dietary restriction or an allergy for ultras. Cause like I basically rely on RX bars like Hillary dates. You can make date and rice balls with salt. Those are super good and easy to make just like dates and almond butter dates and PB. Um, yeah, basically just it's pretty much what I do. Like, um, Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm trying to visualize like a an there's aid station. Nothing. Yeah, unless but you're But there is a lot. I think so. I think the key is that it comes down to like you just have to pack the own your own food for yourself in your drop yeah. bags and figure out how much yeah. you need. Because if I go back to – like I never go to an aid station and I never did even when I was trying to gut through them fast because they often have M&Ms um, or yeah. Smarties or gummies that sometimes have – gluten in them and then also like a a bowl of chips or like a cheese quesadilla um or like pierogies which would have gluten in them too usually because if they're like they're like a processed pierogi yeah so i think it's probably just the difference between what can you come prepared with yourself versus um yeah getting from the aid station so you probably just have to pack your own drop bags and then try to organize where you're going to get your own food and go from there I guess the difference would be if it's a super long ultra and this person wants hot food. So like what could their 
crew bring to them at an aid station for hot food. Cause if you can't have like a quesadilla or a piece of pizza or something that's going to like satisfy your stomach at like mile 70, cause sometimes that's nice if it's cold and it's dark. So, um, that's, I think where it gets trickier if that's what they're being, if that's what they're asking. Yeah, that's a tricky one. I guess bone broth or soup or something is something that a lot of people have because they find it kind of settling. But again, that's something that your crew sort of has to do for you. We actually had a celiac person on the show once, and I think it totally comes down to, again, have just having to prep for yourself. Yeah. And if you get into a race where you can only get food from aid stations, I think she like mm-hmm. emailed the race director, um, which feels like a lot of work on both ends. But if you are going to react violently, you probably just have to advocate for your own yeah. nutrition and I mean, make sure there are options. If you're paying $500 for an ultra, like I think the least you could do is ask to see if they're going to have any of those options at an aid station. Very um, good point. Very good also, point. I'm paying for a banana and I'm not even going to be bananas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like, please don't write out at the finish line food. Um, also a big thing I really used to love in Ironman days was like mini potatoes in a in a Ziploc bag with a bunch of salt. And then you just like would have them in your pack. But then if you had your crew make you mashed potatoes or mini potatoes, those could be, those could be warmed up for you. Like potatoes are amazing. Yeah. Salty potatoes. A lot of people use, I find I need things that are like more, again, fats and proteins. I don't find potatoes satiate me enough, but then there's people like Cargill, who's a vegan and she can do just straight carbs and sugars. So there's other, there's also like figure out the macronutrients that you need and that'll probably help. Or can she, cause Pargle pukes, that has a good alliteration ring to it. <laughs> uh, okay. Question for the pod. So we get this question all the time. Let's see if we have any more. <laughs> I, I feel like we just answered this on the last one. So we're just going to Cole's notes, the things we said on the last episode. Um, How do you become more confident on downhills? Okay. So the reason people ask this question to us specifically all the time, guys, is the North shore and like Squamish area is bananas. So it's not like, oh, there's a couple of rocks or the smooth trail is pretty steep downhill. It is like, it, it's just a different level of tech, technical roots and rocks and like my favorite example is somebody who came up from buffed trails who usually runs a 50 K in six or seven hours. And they crossed the finish line in 12 hours and was just like, what in God's name was that? Um, and so that's just the kind of stuff. So trying to get down that quickly. Well, we talked about it because Danny jumped on and it was like staying loose and it's controlled falling and looking two or three meters in front of you. And by the time what you're seeing hits your brain, your feet will kind of know what to do. But honestly, it's just practice. It's just getting out there and doing downhill reps over and over and over again and getting yourself used to it. Also, one tip that we haven't said that I like to do is find a friend who's really good at downhill running and see if you can go in behind them and watch their feet um, and see how they're navigating it. And maybe that will like by osmosis get into your brain. Do you have anything to add, Tori, that we haven't said in the past? I can definitely add advice. I have a hard time implementing this advice because my downhill... I don't know. It's still like a block, for me. but yeah, Tara Berry always recommends to look three meters in front of you. When she first said that to me years ago, I thought she was joking. Three meters in front of you. I don't know if I should share this advice, but that's what she says. And when she runs downhill, it looks like she's not even touching the ground. So like, yeah, you just don't want to put the brakes on and you want to get basically dance over the technical aspects, but 
yeah, like looking further ahead than you think. I don't do that because it scares me. Um, and then the other advice I've been given was to, yeah, don't be afraid of falling, which is like, I am afraid of falling. So that's probably why I put the brakes on. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so it's so mental. Just like, can you trust yourself and let go? And if you fall, it doesn't hurt that much, which is easy to do skiing because it's freaking puffy mm-hmm. ground. Not that easy to do when you're like, but that jagged rock's going to stab me in the eyeball. Favorite trails to practice it on? Fucking love Sever D. I love that they mentioned Sever D. <laughs> uh, I kind of think, okay, so ladies only is fun on From. That's a good mixture of things. Word of mouth Isn't is my favorite because- downhill to practice in Squamish. What? You can kind of go up and down like without it being super crazy steep because otherwise you're only going to, or really high, I mean, because otherwise you're only going to get like one chance. But Skyline off of Grouse is pretty fun. But another thing, instead of like a super long one, is sometimes I just find a technical like 100 meter section and try to go down it as fast as I can like 10 times and see if I can improve where I step each time. Um, I don't know Squamish as well. Do you have any options in Squamish? Word of mouth is my favorite downhill to practice. And then some, was it somewhere over there? Um, and then full, oh my gosh, I'm now I'm blanking on the names. It's been so long. Um, uh, the one that's the gold, not fool's gold. There's something to do with gold, but anyway, word of mouth is like the one that sticks out to me. Also, I find that when you're trying to get better at downhills, um, finding ones that you really like. So the fact that this person knows that Dale's forever after and Sever D are their favorite, um, using those to build confidence. So then you can like, if you're familiar with them, then you can look, you can try different things like looking three meters ahead, um, staying light on your feet. And so like, I find that when I'm on like a new trail or it's too steep or too technical, then my confidence, like then I get scared again. So building up the confidence on things you feel competent with. Oh yeah, that's a really good idea. And then that way, that kind of advice kind of fits for everybody that's listening. You don't have to be local to here too. Is like pick something, yeah, that maybe pushes you one notch out of where you are now and master that and then move on so that you don't freeze up going yeah. the other direction. That's good. It's like with climbing, like, I'm not going to enjoy it if I'm put on a multi-pitch right away. Like I actually need stuff that is at, actually actually at my level because for me, um, just putting on my shoes can feel challenging sometimes. <laughs> so I so with climbing, like the advice I was given was in order for you to enjoy it, you're going to like you need to be going on things that are actually below your ability or at your ability because the whole thing, the whole experience for me um, can feel challenging. Cause I would just rather be jogging. Cause I have no, you know, I'm not, you know, well-rounded. So for me, like, <laughs> even though I can do, a, even though I could do a five, nine or five ten, I don't need to do that. Like I need to feel good on a five, seven. So then I get excited about a five, 10. I love how I'm using climbing analogies. Like who am I? Like, thanks, Danny O'Farrell. Uh, no, but that totally, it totally makes sense. Going up scary rocks, comfort level, going down scary rocks. It's all, it's all very fitting. Just want to take a second to thank one of our sponsors. So we are brought to you by a product that I use every single day. So much so that it has become an essential in my life. AG1 by Athletic Greens is daily nutrition that is so easy to take. So as I've kind of said, I mix it the night before with cold water put it in the fridge. And the first thing I do is wake up in the morning and drink the whole glass and it tastes so good. And then I get to sit and enjoy my coffee knowing that I've already done so many 
awesome things for my body because it is made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients that deliver so many benefits and I sleep better, my immune system is on point. So AG1 is more than just greens. It's a key health product like multivitamins, minerals, and prebiotics all together as one that's super easy to absorb. I find pills I just don't digest that well, so I love that it also comes in the powder liquid. And I feel like I can make sure that all of the nutrients I need going into a race are taken care of, and that I'm also gonna recover from races and workouts when I do not have time to get all of the vegetables and fruit and minerals that I need. So I love that it's just made it so easy. So if you wanna take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com backslash T-R-W-P. That's athleticgreens.com backslash T-R-W-P to check it out. Okay, so we're gonna move on to question number three. And we did touch on this years ago, but it is such a good question. And I think it, I mean, there's obviously science behind it, but we'll just talk about our opinions. So don't, don't quote us. Altitude training, pros versus cons. I'm not going to, but I was very tempted for UTMB. Um, it was a listener in Australia. Shout out to Pete. What, uh, what do you think about altitude training? I, I know my opinions, but what are yours? So without bashing the UTMB corporation, that's exciting. Um, I love altitude. I, okay, there's no research to back this up, but over the years I used to know the research to back this up. Altitude training, the training isn't as important because you can simulate in other ways during your training without actually being in a high altitude location. So you can do really well at a, at a, a race that has higher altitude than where you train. Um, things like saunas, um, specific, like being in a sauna for a certain length of time, um, doing really, really hot weather runs. There's actually, I didn't know this until like last year, but there's studies that show if you run or jog or get your heart rate up in like very hot places. So like Lillooet got to like 40 ish, 41 this summer. And so there was a couple jogs where I was like, wow, this is really hot. Danny actually thinks that's why I was able to like overcome injuries and feel really good because it simulates the same, the same, um, training as altitude training when you're in really, really hot environments. So you can do that in the sauna, or if you live in a hot place, you can do some of your jogs in the heat. I wouldn't do speed work in the heat. Cause I think that's dangerous personally. Um, <clears throat> I think I love being at altitude. I like training at altitude. I like racing at altitude mostly because I don't usually redline in a race. So I'm never really at the risk of, of getting sick as much because I'm not like going straight off the cuff sprinting. So for me, like it takes me a lot, like many hours to warm up. So I, even if I go straight to a place that has higher altitude than what I was training, I can ease into that ultra at an easy effort and almost like let the adaptation happen during like over the duration of the race. So like if I'm going to go, like when I went to Utah and yeah, I probably didn't feel amazing and it might've had to do with altitude, but I'm not, I'm not going to, I didn't really, well, I did get sick, but that was probably for something else, but it wasn't like, it's, I think people, I don't know. I've always had really positive experiences with altitude. And I think people like almost make it this, this like really crazy, scary thing. And I just don't think it, yeah, you can get sick. Some people really, really hate it. 
Um, I think that I've heard, and this is anecdotal, but I think there is evidence to it. I've heard that if you don't live at altitude, you either go to the place two or more weeks before where the high altitude race is, or you go like a day as, as quick as possible before. Because if you go like that awkward five or six days beforehand to think you're acclimating, that actually is like the worst time to go. Because then your body knows that it's like not adapted and then it's got to do a, a long race, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So totally. That was what I was going to say where I said, was going to say, I don't know if this was a, a, a study or if that's something that we just always hear, but I've always heard that as well, that it takes a long time to adapt to the altitude. So you have to basically commit to even a month of being there or yeah, go last minute and don't get into that sort of like mid adjustment feeling and then try to do the race. And actually that's something that maybe we can follow up. Maybe I'll do some research and find out how they studied this and if it was a volunteer thing or if it was all anecdotal or what the, how that happened. If you, if anybody knows the exact information on that, send it in. But I also sort of think there's a few things like kind of you alluded to it a little bit there that you might be looking for something to go wrong. And I think probably there's a mental side of it where you can switch the narrative in your mind and think like, okay, like I'm going to feel different, but I'm still going to feel good or, or whatever. I'm not explaining that super well, but instead of expecting to feel bad, because then you probably will, like there's some placebo effect in that. And then, okay. So what are things I can do to make sure that this doesn't have a huge effect on me? We'll start eating and drinking early and you probably have to eat smaller amounts more often. And if you do get to feel a little lightheaded, um, or like it's harder to eat, you've already kind of covered that base by getting calories in early and not waiting till it was too hard to get calories in. So I think there's a pretty easy way to negate the things that could go wrong. And I don't know if this is the how the course worked, but for so Switzerland was super high. It was like the highest I'd ever run, but you finished on a huge long descent and the last 10K were like 15 hundred meters lower than most of the race. And obviously there was higher portions than that, but it was kind of like, okay, cool. So I'm going to get my oxygen back at some point and looking forward to this lower part where you're going to feel good at the end. Um, so yeah, I think there's just ways to play with it, but I would just go in, unless you're going to commit your whole summer to this, I would just go in totally last minute, um, and avoid that kind of weak part. Yeah. Like if you're like training, heat train, if you can. And then the other thing people forget when they're at, if, even if they're just sleeping at altitude or walking around at altitude, um, you have to eat more calories and drink more and drink more electrolytes. So if you're going last minute to a place that's higher altitude than when you train, um, whatever your fueling plan is for that race, like just, just amp it up a bit because you're burning more. So if I'm, if I'm sitting on my butt, um, in Leadville at 10,000 feet, I'm burning way more than I'm sitting on my butt um, in Vancouver. So people, I think my my little theory and from what I've experienced, because I've spent a fair bit of time, um, well, in Colorado and stuff, like at 14,000 feet and stuff, like my, my experience, just like what I've noticed other people doing or what I've done is like, I think the sickness is because your body is burning more. And so then if you add an ultra into the mix, 
and you're not fueling, if your fueling goes to shit during an ultra and the ultra is at altitude and you're not used to altitude, then it's the perfect storm. So also the, I, I was playing around UTMB course last summer. And I mean, again, I really like altitude, but honestly, I didn't notice at all. I had no idea. I honestly, I don't even think, oh, now I'm going to Google it. How high is Chamonix? How high is Chamonix? Because I actually didn't feel like it was high at all. I think the highest you actually went is, yeah, Chamonix is not that high. It's just over a thousand meters, the town. I don't even think you go up higher than 10,000 feet in UTMB, but I could be totally wrong. Um, yeah, I don't think you go much more than 10,000 feet. So um, it might be a bit of a shock to your system, but you're not jogging at 12,000 feet the whole race. Yeah. So I think it's probably just a thing that you can use the tools that you already know that you have just kind of what to summarize what Tori said in different words, which maybe is unnecessary. But, um, I think there were some good points there. It's like, you already know how to solve problems. This is just another part of the race that you can handle. And that, yeah, especially yes. you, Pete, you've got all the experience in the world. You're going to nail this. I'm stoked for you and to follow along on that journey. Yeah. And just one more thing about this. So yeah, heat training, ease into it during the race. It'll be easy to ease into UTMB because there's a million people starting. So you might not even be able to jog at all for a few kilometers anyway, until you get to Lazouche. So I think, um, yeah, you're not going to be redlining anyway. You're less likely to feel like shit. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. That was such a good point too, that like, yeah, go out easy, go out slow, which you will do that in that anyways. And that will really help. Um, okay. So if we look at this question for the 46K, 10,000 feet, did we answer this already? Did you just put this in? Yeah, so this was someone that slid into my DMs, which was great. I felt really excited about that. So I can read it if you want. <laughs> yeah, um, and this is such an awesome question. So go ahead and, and read it. I'm excited to look into this. So tying into Pete's question, yeah. So our last question today was, I signed up for my first Sky Race, broken, or Sky Race Ultra Broken Arrow, 46K, 10,000 feet which is about 3000 meters ish. I've never done that kind of snow running Sasha Burt. I've run a 50 K and I'm doing another 50 K training race in May with about 6,000 feet of Burt. trying my best to get lots of hill training in, but I live at low elevation and most of our trails are very runnable. Please send help. I'm terrified. I feel like these themes of like being scared at altitude, like, is there an altitude monster floating around Instagram saying like, you must, you're going to be fucked if you go to altitude. Cause like, honestly, I've, Okay. Yes. Squaw Valley, which is not called Squaw That's Valley. That's going to be the intro for sure. Is there an altitude monster? monster? Is there an altitude monster? Squaw Valley, which is not called Squaw Valley anymore, but Tahoe is like, yeah, you're, you're high-ish. Um, and the race does go high. I think the snow running was a one, I could be wrong, but I think it was a one year that was like a bit of a fluke that they had so much snow still up high. June is the race. So it's still kind of early. So yeah, there could be snow. Honestly, I think the photos are just for effect that you've seen with the snow running. I would not worry about it. Yes, there's a ton of gain you get at Broken Arrow. I've done a bunch of the route there. It's stunning. It's beautiful. It's steep. And you do, you are climbing a lot um, over 46K, um, but you're fine. So like even just doing your hill training where you live at low elevation, um, even if you do like harder, even if you have like runnable hills where you live, 
just doing like harder efforts on those hills. So like five times three minutes with a full recovery in between, even if they're low grade hills, um, is fine. If you cannot get any steep, like power hiking hill training in before Broken Arrow, um, I would even just do like, so in the book, um, in the Uphill Athlete book by Steve House and Scott Johnson, they talk about, um, they call it like endurance. It's some sort of method they use um, for people that are doing alpine missions, but it can relate to uphill running in mountain races. So you basically put, you can start with like a, a box or a ledge or like a a gym bench and you basically do step walk-ups. So like if you don't have a steep power hiking hill, you literally do step ups and you, it's really fucking boring and you alternate like walking and you go up and down the bench and you have weight on your back and you do it for like 10, 20, 30 minutes and you increase every week. But basically that's going to stimulate and train the posterior chain and especially those muscles that will be used for power hiking on steep areas like in Broken Arrow. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like I understand the fear of this one a little bit more where it's like, okay, yeah, altitude, but more so I have to climb this much and I've never climbed this much. So I am consistent with this answer where I think it's harder to go the other way around. We're like, yeah, you can do a bunch of climbing in a row, but you've never ran 56 kilometers before. I think covering the distance is harder. So I think you can build your running distance base and be like, cool, I have the like backbone of a super good program here and then do that extra climbing stuff on there, which is exactly what Tori just talked about. Um, and there's other ways to hack it. Like there's got to be a building or a stadium or somewhere with stairs and stairs are pretty similar to climbing a mountain. It's not like you're running uphill, you're power hiking. So that just gives you more ways. And you could do like your long run and then do a bunch of these kind of box step ups or a stairmaster in a gym, which is not fun, but it does work. Um, or do the weight, do weighted back squats for volume at like not a super heavy weight, but for volume and <clears throat> then do your jog. So you're also practicing jogging on climbing legs. Um, so there's lots yeah. of ways to kind of hack the system. It's way easier to hack the climb than it is to yeah. to go the other way in my opinion. So I think you can be, you can do these things and feel pretty confident about it. And make sure that you have um, a couple of pe your peak weeks in your training block before Broken Arrow, make sure a couple of those peak weeks are going to be hitting close to 3000 meters or 10,000 feet throughout those seven day cycles. So like if you're doing, you know, a four whatever month training block and you've got a couple of peak weeks in there, just make sure you're building to get at least one or two of those peak weeks at 10,000 feet throughout the whole week. Um, and of course, like when you're, you want to like know what it's like to, to do a longer run on heavy legs. So like those back to back runs, which I really like some people don't believe in anymore, but I really like them. Um, the other thing that I actually really like about this, like, I think it's exciting that you're terrified because it means you care, but also I think it's really exciting because, um, something where it's like, you know, higher altitude than you're training and living at. But the there's steep parts of Broken Arrow. The interesting thing is that no one's going fast. Even if you're Killian and you're a fucking steep mountain climber person, sure, you might be a bit faster than the other person, but 
you know what's going to be more important? Your fucking downhill. If you're being competitive and you want to catch people or pass people, it's not going to be on the uphill when you're at a place of high altitude. It's going to be on the downhill. So like the ups are probably going to be steep on that course, but the downs can be quite runnable. So I would actually use your terrain that you're training at to your advantage. So if you've runnable hills, like do downhill workouts on those runnable hills and do intervals for like two minutes of like harder downhill on a runnable hill. So, cause that very, would actually very, very good point. Very that's going to get you more excited too, to be like, Oh my God, I'm going to be confident. And you can visualize yourself going faster on the downhill and passing these people. Cause no one's at a steep uphill at altitude. Nobody is going hard. You're not passing anyone. Like you might be passing people, but statistically you're going to be passing way more people if you're downhill stronger. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that's, that's something you can, you can rely on for always. Um, one last thing too, when Tori says like, get a couple weeks where you have your 3000 meters, do you have the, like, and this is very, um, would be very lucky, but maybe you have the ability to go on a holiday that's near a place where you can do a bunch of hikes or something. And then you can incorporate other people if it's just a bunch of hiking and you're just, your goal is not distance for that week. It's just elevation. Um, so I know that some people are like, yeah, I'm completely flat, but within a three hour drive, I have a place I can go where I can do a bunch of hikes. So there's kind of creative ways that you can work it into. Um, but worst, worst case, there's always the indoor, the indoor stuff where you can actually measure how many meters or feet your, your indoor building yeah. is, and then just do repeats on that too. You're so. going to need, you're going to need a lot of trail running women podcasts to get you through those <laughs> and T-Swift playlists. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm like, I don't know if I want to talk about how boring this would be, but if you want it, there's a will, there's a way, I guess is what they say. Yeah. But honestly, like the way that they've written about it in Uphill Athlete and also the new Alpinism, which is by the same authors, like it, you read it and you're like, fuck, this is so boring. But like, also this is what the best people do, which is boring. (laughs) It's boring. Training can be boring. Yeah, training to be good at anything is boring. It's just like a hundred reps of the same thing over and over again. But that's it is what it is. Okay, that's our last question. I have to get to real job coming up quick. Do you have any closing remarks, Tori? Um, no. Um, I really appreciate all the questions. I really appreciate when people slide into my DMs. Um, no closing remarks. Um, not that exciting this morning. I need more coffee. No, sometimes it's nice to just be calm and normal. Uh, So why don't we follow up again after your race and then we'll talk about your and Danny's 50K experience one day and maybe we'll do another podcast on just like running with friends, with partners and FKTs in romantic relationships and how to navigate like different speeds and stuff. I think there's a whole lot of good stuff. Yeah, that's a good idea. Also, oh wait, I forgot to go back to Nick Jarvis's question about the project. Um, we're actually doing a project. I don't want to call it. Well, now I do want to call it a project this summer. So we've actually, Danny's mapped out, we've mapped out a, about a hundred K, which about 6,000 or more meters of vert that does like this massive loop around where we live in Lillooet. And maybe one day we'll make it into like a fat ass or an organized ultra event, but we have to actually root scout it. So we're writing letters to the chiefs for the lands that we're going to be exploring on, but I would actually really want to see if it goes. So we're hoping to do like a three-nighter or whatever, just 
also I hate the word fast packing, fast packing on the project to see if the route actually goes because on Google Earth and on FatMap it does go. Um, but I don't know because there's a lot of different pieces of these old logging roads and trails that no one has been on for a long time, but we really want to do that this summer. So that'd be super cool. Oh, that's so fun. And that is a hundred percent a project. That's a very good project. project. We should just call the race, the project, if it ever becomes a race. That's exactly what I was just thinking. You took that joke out of my mouth. (laughs) Because our, our town slogan is guaranteed ultra. So we could call the race guaranteed project. Okay. I got to get going. If our listeners want to find you, what's your Instagram? Plug yourself. Toe, T-O underscore S-C-H-O. It's pretty much all I got. Okay, sweet. Well, thank you guys for listening and we will be back soon. All right, bye. Thank you. Thanks, Hal.